Awareness, the final frontier. These are the explorations of Jonathan Robinson and Brian Tom O'Connor. Their continuing mission, to discover fresh new paths to the mystery within. To seek out new joys and new methods of awakening. To boldly go into the heart of expanded consciousness. This is Awareness Explorers. Well, welcome back, fellow seekers and finders, to another episode of Awareness Explorers. I'm here with my trusty co-host, Brian Tom O'Connor. For some reason, I like doing that each week. Anyways, we are, I won't say excited because I always say that. What's another word for excitement, Brian? Uh, thrilled, um, eagerly anticipating. Um, yeah, those both Stoked. Work. Stoked. Uh, yeah, we're psyched. stoked. <laughs> Anyways, we're stoked to be exploring a topic that I think gets uh, not nearly enough attention when you're a spiritual seeker. Really two topics. One is humility, and the other topic, which is obviously related, is how does one foster humility? Because on the spiritual path, really whether you're Christian, Jew, non-dual, uh, Muslim, in every spiritual tradition, humility is considered a good thing. You don't have some tradition that says, yeah, humility, yeah, you don't need that if you're a part of our path. So it's obviously important, but we never talk about how it gets developed. And I think that that's a really key subject because, as Gandhi said, humility is an essential virtue that must exist in a spiritual seeker for all the other virtues to emerge. So as I mentioned that word humility, what comes up to you, uh, Brian? Well, it's interesting because when we talked about doing an episode on humility, I was uh, doing a little thinking and some research. And uh, as I was doing it, I was also watching Rick Archer's interview with your former teacher, Justin Gold. Mm -hmm. And during that interview, Rick Archer said, I've heard humility defined as the quality of not insisting that things happen any particular way. Hmm. And I thought that was pretty good description. And Justin said that he thought that a lot of the qualities that we aspire to have been there from the beginning. He said, I don't think there's been an arrogant child born. We have within us the capacity for humility and it's not an attribute. It's a subtraction of false confidence, which leads to arrogance. My picture of humility is something that can be uncovered. And I really liked that, uh, that humility is actually our nature, but it is only later on when we decide we know best and uh, we're always right that that humility gets covered over. Yeah. You know, I, I love that. I was just talking to Ted Strauss, the... Uh, guy we had in our last episode, and he was saying that humility is a lack of grandiosity. You know, normally we have this humility that's part of our true nature. If you realize that you're part of consciousness, which is so huge, then of course you are humble. Uh, so in this culture, we often take on identifying with certain grandiose roles and we get lost in that 
But if you can disidentify from the grandiosity that your personality can sometimes latch onto, humility is what's left. That's right. And that also is in keeping with the idea that uh, the grandiosity is something that's actually added on that isn't our actual nature. And a couple mm -hmm. of other thoughts I had about humility, you can actually define it in both the relative and the absolute contexts. Relative meaning your emotional health of the individual personality in relation to other individuals and absolute meaning uh, the universal consciousness in which each individual is a part. And in the relative context, I think it's the knowledge that we're each flawed and imperfect. However, obsession with our qualities, good or bad, doesn't lead to happiness. Instead, we can turn our attention from ourselves and look for ways that we can act with love towards each other. And in the absolute context, I think humility is the knowledge that we are all the same universal consciousness, that what's looking out through my eyes is identical to what's looking out through your eyes, and as a matter of fact, the same. And so therefore, each individual person is no better or worse than any other individual person. And either way you look at it, I think the result is acting with love and embodying love. Well, I agree with everything you say, but when the rubber has to hit the road, so those are good beliefs to have, and I agree with them. What I find fascinating is how does one move in that direction? Because as Ben Franklin said, uh, you know, Ben Franklin made a, a list of all the virtues he wanted to have, you know, kindness and truthfulness and humility was one of them. And he wrote in his autobiography that humility was the only virtue he could not develop. Because every time he had some success with it, he was taking one step forward and two steps back. You mean so, because he was so proud of the success that he achieved exactly. in, in uh, gaining more humility that uh, it negated the humility? Exactly. <laughs> That's clever. So he could not develop it in the way that he developed, say, kindness. You know, you can become more kind or you can become more truthful. Mm -hmm. But you cannot necessarily say, I'm going to become more humble. Because every step you take is a step away from it. Yes, and that's why I think that uh, the relative methods of becoming more humble are actually not as effective as uh, developing humility in the absolute context, because you're not actually developing humility. You're looking at, you're shifting your attention from the content of your awareness to awareness itself. And you're noticing that you, other people, the entire world, is actually made of awareness, and it's all one awareness. And then when you do that, humility actually takes care of itself. It's not something that you achieve and therefore you can pat yourself on the back over. It's something that gradually develops through the seeing of your true nature. I agree with you that, well, I think there's two ways to quote, develop humility, or let's not use the word develop, to have humility. Okay. One of them is what you just said, which is you 
really become aware that you're part of something much bigger. So therefore, you are smaller. Does that make sense? If, you're, if you are part of this awareness and consciousness, that's an infinite thing. So in relationship to it, you feel small because you realize how big it is. You, the separate personality, is small, but you, right. the real you, is infinite and as big as everything. And so it's a little bit of a dual realization. It is. Even um, though it's non-duality. <laughs> Another paradox. <laughs> paradox number 273. We'll exactly. add it to the list. We got a million of them. Yeah. So I think anytime um, you go from being a big fish in a small pond, you know, like I am, you know, this person who is successful at work, you know, you're the, you're the CEO of your store. But then you become part of, let's say, Walmart, you know, or, or some other. And now you're an employee where there's 100,000 other employees. Now you're a, a smaller fish in a big pond. And in a way, when we become aware of our home and consciousness, we become a very small fish in a very big pond. And the resulting experience is one of humility. I, can I see left you that speechless. <laughs> <laughs> well, I still, you know, I, as you know, I'm, I am less interested in perfecting the personality and more interested in pointing to our true nature. And so both are true. We are very small. Our individual body, mind, personality are very, very small elements in the infinite universe. But that's not who we are, that body, mind, personality. It, it's it's who, who we are. Those are things that are just actually appearances in who we are. Mm -hmm. Who has a body? Who, who's aware of our thoughts in our mind? Who has a personality? It's not the personality that has a personality. It's infinite consciousness that has billions of personalities like like a being with with several trillion multiple personalities each mm -hmm. one uh, a simultaneous temporary arising mm -hmm. but that key word that you said that you realize you're part of something much bigger than this small personality yes and and therefore humility is the natural result of seeing things accurately yes but there's another way to quote have humility which i think is almost never talked about in spiritual circles and it was a major part of my own path so i i'm a big believer in it and that is that you turn this awareness that you're starting to realize you are to seeing your own shortcomings accurately. Now, that can sound like self-improvement, uh, depending on your motivation, but you already do have shortcomings, so you don't have to create anything, you just have to stop not seeing them. 
And I'm wondering what you think of this, this technique, so to speak. Well, here's where our opinions diverge, and I'll be playing kind of a devil's advocate about this. And that's based on my own experience. You know, I'm, I'm a, a relatively old guy, and I've looked at my shortcomings for years and years. I, I've really, really looked deeply at them and talked to therapists about them and other people about them. And the one thing that changed my life and led me toward greater happiness was when I stopped trying to fix those shortcomings, when I simply allowed them to be exactly the way they were and allowed myself to be exactly the way I was, because I realized that the more energy I spent fixing my shortcomings, the less energy was available towards sharing my gifts with the world, or at least towards acting in harmony with my actual nature. So I'm not really all that big on, on uh, looking at shortcomings. On the other hand, just, you know, I understand that when you are trying to get better at something, you do need to look at your shortcomings. Let's say you're trying to become a great tennis player and your coach says, hey, your, your, your serve toss is a little too high and to the left. You're going to want to know about that and correct it. If you want to be a, a better singer, you're going to want to know maybe what you're doing wrong with your not raising your soft palate or something like that. But those are all relative things in fixing the personality. And I don't know if they really lead to ultimate happiness. I can't say I disagree with anything you just said. So I, I value that point of view. And I think for yourself and other people that I, I lived with and spent 26 years in a spiritual group with that it does not work to focus on their shortcomings that it just gets them tied up in knots. And, and then that is far away from knowing yourself as, as awareness. So I can see that the, what you just said makes sense. I want to offer the other point of view. Yes, please do. <laughs> what I see when some people try to shift their identity from their personality to awareness is that they can become very peaceful, but then they don't realize that there's all kinds of shadow parts of them that are still operating and are creating trouble for both themselves and others. That's one thing. And that doesn't look pretty. They're not what I would call embodied. Mm -hmm. um, and they may not even be that humble because now they think, well, I have peace and you don't and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> uh, so some of those people actually become somewhat arrogant. I'm not saying you, you have, but I have known people who feel kind of arrogant in their peacefulness. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, and I have actually fallen into that problem at times. So that doesn't look pretty. So therefore, I think it is useful to have some focus on one's shortcomings, especially as you start to become aware of your true nature as awareness. I say especially because 
if you folk if you start to focus on your shortcomings too soon you, you it just goes into self-criticism i'm not a good person and that doesn't serve anybody but i know as i become more as i became more aware of my home and awareness in order to avoid feeling important and better than other people it was actually quite useful to realize that I had all these parts of myself that were still running around doing their thing. And by being aware of them, it helped me to feel more humble. And it also helped me to be maybe kinder and have some of the rough edges of my personality worn off. So I think, once again, I'll use the two wings analogy. One wing is you got to know yourself and experience yourself as awareness to whatever extent you can and then to the extent that you have that it's good to focus on all those to turn that awareness towards all those parts that are still not not uh that they're still affecting your behavior still running around in the dark turn the light on those it gives your awareness something to see first of all and then it keeps you out of trouble that can happen as you literally start to have a different experience than other people. My old teacher used to say, the biggest pothole in the path is self-importance. You know, feeling that you're better than other people. And it's hard to feel better than other people if every uh, four minutes you just saw yourself accurately as coming from a less than pure motivation. So that's a lot of words. What do you think? Well, I think that's really well put. And, uh, and it makes a great deal of sense. And uh, I think that one of the key elements that you raised actually does answer some of my objections, because you talked about the timing of it. If we start looking at our shortcomings as the first step in our awakening, that simply becomes the flip side of self-aggrandizement. It, they both lead to narcissism. In one side, we're just obsessed with how bad we are and, and our faults. In the other, we're trying to project how wonderful we are to the world, which is usually just a form of hiding our faults. But the way you described it, we're using awareness first. We start with the practice of turning our attention towards awareness itself from the content of awareness. And then our shortcomings can be simply an object in awareness that we can look at. And you, I think you're absolutely right that it's a pitfall. It's, it's a pothole. Um, Self-importance is. We see, it, we see it all the time. So, you know, I, I, I'm, I think it's a both and, to go back to your two-wing analogy, which whenever you use, you always convince me that... <laughs> <laughs> that that both of our points of view are 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 valid in their ways yeah yeah and there's just one other thing i want to add about it um most shortcomings are actually created by our strategies to prevent unwanted emotion mm -hmm. most of the things that we do blaming others um, making ourselves better than others, um, 
uh, anger, uh, argumentation, all of these things that may be qualities that we may not like are actually strategies to prevent the deep, dark emotions that we don't want to hide over our, 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 our wounds, our deep wounds. And awareness practice is, I think, the gold standard in dealing with that. Whenever an unwanted emotion arises, you ask, what is this emotion appearing in? Mm. Mm -hmm. And if connected to that inquiry, one of your shortcomings becomes obvious to you, then I think in that context, it can be valuable because that's another thing that you can ask and inquire. What is this appearing in? Is that really who I am? Fantastic points. And you're right that when people don't have enough of a connection to conscious connection to their awareness, they're getting down on themselves. They may think that they're humble, but it's a false humility. It's not, it's not the real thing. And <laughs> there's a big difference between false humility and real humility. Real humility, uh, you don't have to tell anyone about your faults. You, you just feel your smallness. You feel both your smallness and your bigness in a certain way because your bigness is in, in consciousness. And false humility is uh, creating a, a very big part of you that's saying that I'm terrible and wrong. That's right. And the two wings, another example of the two wings are duality and non-duality. In duality, we are actually human beings and we're flawed. All of us are flawed imperfect, we make mistakes, we um, misinterpret things, and when you recognize that simply the way it is, then that can lead to humility. And then, just as you said, on the other wing of non-duality, where we are everything, we're completely connected to everything else, and there's no difference between you and me. So how could I possibly be better than you? Mm -hmm. So. I like your technique, what is this emotion appearing in? Uh, because that can always bring you back to awareness. Um, but I want to mention a, a method that I used in the school I was in, and I still use, that helps you to see your shortcomings for those listeners who feel ready to take that on a little bit. Um, and once again, it's not that you have to so much seek out your shortcomings. They are there. You just have to stop not seeing them. Mm -hmm. You know, that's what we spend our time doing. We, we blame, we deny, we distract. So we don't see what is. And uh, one definition of awareness is you see what is. You're not lost in story. You're not lost in excuses or blame. And... It really only takes one of these defenses and you can avoid seeing all kinds of stuff that it would be better if you saw one because that's what it is and two uh you might avoid uh, uh being in your own way so much so this technique was something that i use it's very simple uh later we'll be doing a guided meditation based on this method 
But the technique at its essence is one question. And the question is, what specific shortcoming in me may be contributing to my current experience? So let's say uh, you're upset with someone. You say, well, what specific shortcoming in me may be contributing to this upset? Now, I must tell you that this is actually a very challenging question because we always come up with rationalizations or blame. We're pretty good at seeing the shortcomings in other people, especially you know, those that we're romantically involved with. But being able to see it in yourself, most people haven't developed that muscle. So it takes some real focus to be honest and to say, gee, if I wasn't blaming them, how did I contribute to this? And I thought maybe we would go into an example or two so that our listeners could get a better sense of how you might answer that. Sure. But before you do, it just reminds me of actually a technique that I've used. It's very, very similar, and I didn't realize it. And basically, it's if you feel a push, who's doing the pushing, you or the other guy? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's a good one. You know, what I like about this method is it gets down to a specific. And the more it's kind of like a microscope. It allows you to see something very specifically that maybe you saw in a general way. You know, we all know that we're not perfect, but that doesn't really have impact. But when you see that you're in an argument with your mate and you go, you ask yourself, well, what, how did I specifically contribute to this? And you say, well, I saw that I needed to say the last word. I need to be right. Mm -hmm. Or you say, I couldn't be vulnerable with them and therefore their reaction to what I said was kind of nasty because I'm incapable of being vulnerable or in that moment or I don't know how to express my needs therefore they didn't know this important thing about me so that's how the argument started when you start to see those things you can kind of rest with that because that is what's happening. That's right. That is what's happening. I often say, oh, there goes Brian doing that thing again that he does. I like that. That, uh, that first of all, helps you to disidentify from that part of you. Right. And also to help you to see it more accurately. That's right. Because now you're not blaming somebody. <laughs> right. So I thought we would try to do this with something that came up. I'll, I'll use a, a recent example. Let's see. We, we could use an example that came up between us and how it helped us to not get into a disagreement. Like you and I were having an issue over whether or not to invite a certain teacher who will remain unnamed. Right. And I uh, sent you an email saying, yeah, I'd really like this teacher. And you sent an email like, I really don't like that teacher. I don't want to do that. Uh -huh. And, and we, there was a little bit, not much, but a little bit of uh, testiness in our emails. Mm -hmm. 
So I said, well, why am I upset? Because, you know, I, I could have blamed you, which I, of course, did originally. Well, he should be more open to that teacher. Then I, I asked myself, what specific shortcoming in me is leading to my upset? And the answers I came up with were, um, I really have a need to get my way. And I, I will push for my way sometimes. I also had a need to impress a friend of mine who wanted this teacher on, on our podcast. Mm -hmm. You know, like I really have a big need to impress someone. And then I also realized that I didn't communicate it very well. Like I was not being vulnerable and saying much about why I wanted this teacher. I was more like being insistent. So my lack of communication skills was also contributing to this upset. And I could see these things clearly and I go, wow, that's humbling to see that I did all those things and it helped to create this situation. And then I kind of admitted all that and you admitted your part in it and it was over. What, what was your impression of that whole event? Well, my impression of it was that you dealt with it amazingly skillfully. You know, mm -hmm. talk about Rolls-Royce skills. Um, I, I actually talked to a friend of mine who is a, a, a life coach about it, and we were both really impressed with that. And at the same time, I also asked myself these questions. Am I being closed-minded about this teacher? Am I being testy? Or is this happening because I'm not in a good mood today? And... Um, Am I, do I always need to be right? So yes, you're right. I, I, I did ask myself those questions too, but I, I really did think the way we talked about it was, was really open and helpful. And um, I, I was actually quite impressed. Well, that's one of the perks of awareness, you know, when you can bring that awareness and see yourself accurately it really helps to prevent a lot of problems and it leads to more connection. It really does. It really does. But I will throw in the caveat that I raised before, but in a slightly different way. You said not getting too involved in the story about it. And I think that if you remember that while you're looking at any possible shortcomings that you're bringing to the situation, you try to avoid getting involved in the story about it because our tendency is to weave this long tale with a lot of words and a lot of self-talk and a lot of justification and weighing one side or the other. If you can really just simply look at it with clear, open awareness, acknowledge that it's there without a strategy to prevent anything from happening or prevent yourself or someone else from feeling something that you may not want without the story. Then I think if you can, if you can manage that, then I think you can really um, benefit a lot from this. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, whenever you go into story, whether it be the story about them or the story about you, you're kind of lessening, the actual just seeing and the impact and allowing it to be there. You know, we go into our heads and that is always, or not always, but most of the time in the wrong direction.
That's right. Allowing it to be there. That's such a key point, because usually when we take any kind of step, especially the kinds of steps in a spiritual path, like even just simply meditation, we're doing it for the purpose of getting rid of something as opposed to the purpose of simply allowing what is to be there. So if you can, if you can look at something like a shortcoming in yourself and just simply look at it and allow it to be there without your story, without your strategy of how to get rid of it, then yeah, then, then I'm with you. And if you do take this on, make sure that you don't overdo it. Because if you're getting down on yourself, that's also not the right direction. It's kind of like uh, when you're baking a cake, you want a little bit of yeast so that cake can rise. Too much yeast and the cake doesn't taste good. <laughs> yeah, don't put, don't, don't put too much yeast of uh, story and, uh, and self-reflection into it. Yeah. Just... Just notice, and then notice what's noticing. Hmm. Anything else before we go into a meditation about this whole subject? No, I'd love to hear the meditation that you have. I, I, I've enjoyed this, uh, this back and forth. Uh, I feel that, I feel I came to this from somewhat of an oppositional point of view um, and ended up not feeling that way. Hmm. That's generally a good sign. And I felt the same way. And that's one of the things I like about uh, our podcast is that we often in our exploration get to a place different than where we started. Yeah. And that means that we're both open to learning and hopefully our listeners are the same way. We all come in with certain biases, but by exploring things, we, we often get to a new place. And uh, just putting a plug for our awareness coaching, that a lot of times when we coach people, we find that not only do they get to a new place in terms of experiencing their nature as awareness, but sometimes those insights have major effects on their relationships, their money, and other aspects of their life as well. Yes, indeed. And if people are interested in learning about that, on our website, Awareness Explorers, there is a place called, what do we call it, Brian? Awareness Coaching. Awareness Coaching. And you can learn more about how uh, you can have such a session with Brian or I by clicking on that. We'd love to be of help in that way. So, as is usual, let's get ready to do a guided meditation. And as you probably know, those are also all available at our website, awarenessexplorers.com, under meditations. I think we have about 40 of these guided meditations now. And uh, in, our, in my not-so-humble opinion, I think they're really great. <laughs> yes. <laughs> in my not-so-humble opinion, I, I, I agree. <laughs> great. So relax and close your eyes if you can. Make yourself comfortable and take a couple of slow, deep breaths. Settle into feeling your body on your chair or wherever you're currently sitting. And slowly allow yourself to become present and breathe.
In this meditation, we're going to explore humility. I'd like you to start by thinking of the last time you remember where you were either angry or upset with someone. Remember the scenario, where you were, what you were doing, who was present, and what was it that triggered your upset? Perhaps it was a series of comments or actions that added up, or maybe it was just something that tipped you off into frustration or self-pity or anger. As you remember this event, if you had to summarize why you were upset, with this person in one sentence. What might that sentence be? It might be something like they were being a jerk or they were hurtful or incompetent or inconsiderate or whatever else you might have felt. Just come up with a sentence that summarizes your judgment about them. Now take a deep breath and as best you can, let go of your judgment of this person. And instead, get curious. Become curious about yourself. Become curious about how you might have helped contribute to this upset. In other words, what specific shortcoming in you helped to create this experience? Maybe you didn't communicate well, or perhaps you were impatient or not empathetic, or your expectations were unrealistic. Just contemplate the question, what specific shortcoming in me may have contributed to this upset? And listen for whatever shows up. Was there something you could have done but didn't do or something you were needing but didn't get? What other shortcoming in you may have contributed to this upset?
Normally, our ego blames others for our upsets and hides our own contribution and shortcomings from ourselves. Contemplating your contribution is hard work. So if you did see some way you contributed, some shortcoming, see if you can allow yourself to feel a bit humbled by that insight. Having shortcomings doesn't mean you're a bad person, it just means you're human. So now see if you can feel some compassion for that part of you that contributed to this situation. This part of you is probably just wanting some love or safety or control, just like billions of other people wanting the same thing. So like a loving parent to a hurt child, send this upset part of you some love and compassion from your heart. We are small, frail creatures in a big and sometimes scary world, and blaming others is just a way to hide our own vulnerability. So as best you can, allow yourself to feel your smallness in this infinite universe of 100 billion galaxies, and to feel your connection to something bigger than yourself that we call consciousness. Of course, we're also divine beings, so allow yourself to feel your connection to the seven billion other people on this planet and the connection to awareness and the humility that comes from being one seven billionth of the human species. And notice any resistance that arises to feeling your smallness. And allow it to be there if it is there. Humility is not something you have to create or do. It's what is left when you relax all the other parts of you that are trying to be somebody. So just relax into your humble heart. And take your time but slowly and at your own pace, once again become aware of the seat your body is resting on. Become aware of the sounds around you. And when you're ready, 
Humbly open your eyes to the infinite world of materiality all around you. And welcome back. Thank you. That was wonderful. Good. Well, gratitude is also one of the ways that we naturally feel humility. Yes. And I thought it was very nuanced and uh, hit the right notes. Good. I was also struck when you mentioned that we all want control and love and safety. Mm-hmm. And it reminded me of the, the three wants in the Sedona method. Mm-hmm. We ask ourselves, am I wanting control? Am I wanting approval? Or am I wanting to be safe? And it's very similar in a way. It's also very similar to the work of Byron Katie, where you judge your neighbor and you ask, is it true? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's all these different on-ramps to the freeway of freedom. <laughs> Good metaphor. <laughs> I've had a feeling of grandiosity as I came out. Hey, I like that. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're human. Yep, yep, yep. Uh, luckily, I have lots of shortcomings to keep me humble as well. <laughs> well, I have more shortcomings than you do. Oh, yeah? Oh, yeah? <laughs> Anyways, this has been fun as usual, Brian. Yeah, it's been great. Enjoyed it. So if you like exploring, every now and then, Brian and I post some things on our Facebook group, Awareness Explorers, and you're welcome to join in and connect with other people or email us. Our contact is at awarenessexplorers.com. But feel free to join our Facebook group and read some stuff that we sometimes post from our books or our discussions. And as always, it's a pleasure doing this with you, Brian. And uh, it's an honor to be able to explore with all our listeners. And don't ever forget to keep exploring. Keep exploring. Thank you for listening to Awareness Explorers. To learn more, you can check out our website at awarenessexplorers.com. Please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or your favorite podcast app. And we'd love it if you would post a review. And please share our link on Facebook and with family and friends, because knowing yourself as awareness is the greatest gift you can give yourself or someone you love.